Warning, we apologize in advance, but the following program will not make you look, seem, or appear smarter than you already are. Thank you. <laughs> kind of ruined spoiler for book one <laughs> no no honestly i think you were the one i fought with the most i think sometimes authors know what they want but are afraid to kind of tell you what they want actually we should probably edit that part out <laughs> if that's at all possible i don't know well, have you been in prison <laughs> no, i'm just I, I, so you said you had a stalker um. Friday the 13th feeling, Jason was originally to be named Josh. <laughs> Fucking stupid. So is your day job something to do with writing or no, uh, something it, you don't want to talk about? Like you kill no, puppies or thing because if we've yeah. learned anything from Dexter, that's the gateway to you. Right? <laughs> I actually wrote that book as a contest that Harlequin did. Watch out, here's Josh is coming. He's wearing a fucking sweater vest. He's gonna get us. Guys tied up with their penises getting cut off. <laughs> and then, um, swearing, I will, I will really try not to. I swear a lot. Welcome to Reading Makes You Look Stupid. The show that talks with writers, cover designers, editors, and everyone in between. Now here's your host, J.H. Coates. Thank you, thank you. And welcome to Reading Makes You Look Stupid. Today's episode, we're going to Seattle, Washington, home of rain. Seriously, I looked up Seattle on Wikipedia and that was all it had. A sad-ass looking emoji with a big frown and a rain cloud hanging over it. Just kidding, folks. Seattle is beautiful. It's surrounded by water, mountains, and evergreen forests, and encompasses thousands of acres of parkland, hence its nickname, Emerald City. It's home to a thriving tech industry with Microsoft and Amazon.com calling it home. The futuristic Space Needle, a legacy of the 1962 World Fair, is its most recognizable landmark. Uh, I think they should ask Microsoft and Amazon to uh, to friggin' build something other than a 1962 futuristic look fucking Space Needle. It's also home to the Mariners, Seahawks, Sounders, and Supersonics. Serious Seattle? Just because your city starts with an S doesn't mean your sports team has to. Good for you, Mariners. Good for you. And what about writers? Well, technically, you can say we all come from Seattle. Or at least our paychecks do, since Amazon is responsible for selling over 1 million ebooks a day, which we will we know will only get better, our omnipotent overlords. All that set aside, it is also home to Kamala Thompson, author of the Hunted series. 
it. Yeah, and that's like what I've been uh, testing. Like, when did you stop doing the podcast? Um, probably a couple months ago, we officially threw in the towel. It got to the point where we didn't even have the time to prepare like we should, and the quality was just not. It was bad. <laughs> I, I, in retrospect, um, I just didn't have enough time. Oh, okay. Because okay. I've done a bunch. Of, I've done a couple podcasts now, and uh, one they like sent me all the questions, so it just seemed really cookie cutter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I just want this more to be like a like a friendly conversation. Yeah, scripted. We found it didn't work for us either. Like an agenda is cool, but yeah, to have an outline. Yeah, like I have a few basic questions that I I, I want to ask, but I would like it to take like a more natural, organic um, uh, turn and just do what it does. Well, I could see from your background, we'll have plenty to talk about because <laughs> huge Stephen King fan, loves Star Wars, really into horror movies, so it lo awesome. <laughs> looks like we'll do just fine. <laughs> Okay, so we're talking with author Camilla Thompson. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? Good. Okay, so let's go back. So, okay, you had a podcast, because um, now I find that interesting. Uh, when did you start the podcast? Uh, we started it about a year and a half ago, and it seems like longer because we had so many episodes. <laughs> um, it was a lot of fun. We focused mostly on how mythology still influences today's culture. And had a lot of great authors on. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, we just kind of ran out of time to dedicate to it. Oh, okay. And how many episodes did you do? Like one a week, a couple a month? or? It, it was typically weekly. Um, I think we topped 50. So we got quite a few episodes in. Oh, so you almost did actually one a week. Yeah. Because yeah. I actually, when I started, I'm like, I'm going to do one a week. And now that I'm doing them, um, I'm going to, I am actually going to pull back a bit because yeah. it's a lot of work and yeah, I, everything absolutely. suffers. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember like for an hour long podcast, I think people don't necessarily realize four hours of editing can go into that, even if you're doing just the minimum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have all the advertising that needs to come with it. And um, on top of, you know, if you have a full-time day job plus writing plus all the advertising that needs to happen with that, it, it really adds up quickly. <laughs> yeah, you, it, yeah, exactly. Because like you just said, it's you're writing, you're marketing your book, um, you're doing the podcast, you're editing, which I, and plus, like you said, the time. Um, yeah. I want to edit it properly to make it look because we do the audio and the video and I want it to look like an actual show. And yeah, it takes a lot of time to do that. Yeah, and absolutely. I, and I'm not that great at it. So and then you just finally it was just too much time and you finally decided that you couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I had a stretch where I, I took a break between jobs, which was wonderful. Um, but as you know, as an author, the income you can't just quit your day job. <laughs> so I had to go back to work. Mm -hmm. uh, my day job's pretty demanding. So it just petered out. Now, does your day job um, have anything to do with writing or is it completely separate? It's completely separate, which works really well for me. Yeah. I know a lot of folks want to focus on writing during the day job, but I 
I'm an analyst during the day. I do a lot of problem solving, a lot of math. Uh, and that's just kind of a different area of the brain, it feels like. So I'm not quite as exhausted when I try to write. And so you were with you were with Booktrope. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because that's where I think we kind of yep. connected. Um, how? Okay. Because I have like once we once I talk to someone about Booktrope, I have like a hundred questions that I want to ask. So let's <laughs> go. So when did you sign with Booktrope? Uh, let's see. Probably May in 2014. Also oh, a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I met up with them at a writer's conference, did a pitch, submitted my manuscript, went through a review process, um, and then signed with them probably a month later. And then the book went live really quickly by standard comparison. And, and this is all October. the pretty bones? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So their process was uh, really fast when I yeah. started. You did three books with them? I did the first two. Oh, okay. And it was funny. The third had been submitted in February, and I stopped hearing from people. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people had that. Yeah, yeah. So in April, I'm like, dude, what? what is going on? And then finally, we got that email where they're like, sorry, we're going out of business. Your books are no longer going to be available as of the end of May, and all rights will revert back to you on June 1st. And then I had that, like, 15 minutes of sheer terror. <laughs> and then uh, I have, there are quite a few local book trope authors in the Seattle area, so we all met right. up and kind of freaked out together. And then we were okay. So the third book, um, I finished getting out the door on my own so that was officially self-published from the beginning and then i, I also self-published the other two okay again. so all the pretty bones was your first book now did you self-publish it before or is it that was with book trope immediately that was your first foray into publishing it was my first foray into publishing and i started with book trope oh, okay oh, okay so that's even that's worse well <laughs> Because I, I, I self-published before, so I know a lot of people that didn't, and then it happened. I can understand why they would be um, a little disheartened or panicky. I, I was really – I think the biggest fallout for me, from my perspective, was watching other authors kind of melt down, you know, yeah, and decide they didn't want to do it anymore. They didn't want to publish anymore, and I thought that was just – really um it was really sad yeah it's yeah it's like one of those people that like their husband or wife leaves them and then they don't want to go on and then you got other people there at facebook going oh you'll meet more people you'll you'll yeah. find another you'll find another publisher i know yeah we had um me and my friends were kind of talking some people down or trying to and it, it felt very much like that that's a good comparison yeah. or you don't even need a publisher you just need to be with you you need to self-publish and love yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I understand why some people weren't <laughs> comfortable with that, but that's the first thing that popped into my head. I was already leaning in that direction before this happened, and this just kind of gave me the kick in the pants I needed. So it worked out well for me. Yeah. But Well, what and I've said this before on the last episode is I, I didn't want a publisher um, for selfish reasons about... Because when I did all the... Um, re, when I researched it it looked like you had to do all the work even if you got like a big contract with um, a big publisher it looked like you still had to do a lot of the work yourself oh absolutely i just couldn't afford an editor a proofreader a cover designer a marketer person so that's what made me go with a high I, that's all i applied to was with um 
applied to. That's all I submitted to was um, hybrids um, because of their the, the way they worked out. But yeah, like you have to do the work for your own, like on yeah. your own. Yeah, but now as we've learned, you really have to pay attention to that contract because with these hybrids, you may be responsible for the cost after all. Yeah, because I heard a lot of authors <laughs> got stuck fighting with editors or cover designers and they didn't own the rights to the book covers really. And yeah, I, I had yeah. a really awesome, I'm still working with my team. Yeah. Um, how are you well. with your team? Yeah. Yeah, we worked out things really well. I Actually, we should probably edit that part out <laughs> if that's at all possible. <laughs> okay. um, but she kind of saw the writing on the wall. So uh, as far as my team went, we all came to a really agreeable place. They all wanted to keep working together. It ended really well for me, fortunately. I'm just making a star on that edit out. Sorry. Uh, no, that's... <laughs> now that I was thinking about it, I saw your face. I'm like... Oh, <laughs> and if I don't write it down, I'll be it'll be like three weeks from now. I'll be like watching it or something, and then I'll see that same clip go. Oh, right, I was supposed to edit that out. Yeah, unfortunately, I have no filter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now, um, how are you finding published with a, an actual publisher, and now you're self published? So, how are you finding the the transition, or what? How was the transition? Um, frantic paced just because we had that month to get everything turned around and settled and back online um and then it, it all happened at quarter end which was a really hard time for me at work so it was a little frantic but it was a really natural transition because through book trope we chose who we work with and we went through the interviewing process to choose our team so we already you know, had to select our team, pick who we work with and learn that part of the business, mm -hmm. which I think a lot of authors don't get exposure to. So the transition was was pretty easy. In terms of marketing and all of those other things, we really had to do our own marketing anyway. So yeah. in a lot of regards, there wasn't much of a change, to be totally honest. Oh, that's good. And you worked with everybody on all three books, same editor, same cover, same everything? Uh, with the third one, I have a different cover designer. Uh, he actually lives in my neighborhood. It worked out really well. <laughs> but everybody else uh, stayed the same. Okay. So, and how are you finding... I'm not looking for specific numbers or anything. How are you finding um, sales from being with the publisher and now being um, uh, self-published? Uh, so sales were pretty spotty. Yeah. And slowly when gained you were momentum with the publisher. With the so publisher. It, it took time. Mm -hmm. um, we had a BookBub promotion, and that was great. Like, sales just spiked, and they continued. Even when the books went up to full price again, the, the sales just kept going and going, which was awesome. It was taken offline. I lost all of the search momentum, all of the oh. relationships to other books, and sales just dried out. Uh, so I ran a promotion recently, and it wasn't with BookBub. Um, yeah, they're expensive. And I'm fine. They are really expensive. Uh, they're very selective, too. And just because you've been accepted once doesn't mean it's easier to get in the next time. Oh. So um, went with some other email lists, and there's some interesting things going on in the market with those email list companies. Mm -hmm. I found one of them did generate more sales and give me some left, uh, but overall they're much less effective than they used to be. 
Oh, so these, um, and I'm not saying these are the ones that you're saying, but like e-reader news today, uh, fussy librarian, all those people, they're not as effective or you don't find them as effective today as they were a while ago. I would say that the market has changed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what, what are you finding a better alternative than them? I think a lot of us are kind of struggling with that right now because um, some strange things have happened with Fussy Librarian and some of the others. And I don't know all of the details, but I think a lot of them have gone out of business and have shut down. Oh. Um, my little prediction is that BookBub may be acquired someday by Amazon. I am not basing that. In fact, it's just a theory because it makes a lot of sense from a business perspective. Well, they bought Goodreads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It just makes sense for them to look at everything from uh, start to finish. They have a pretty good self-publishing platform. Why not look at the marketing end of things? Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I'm finding that a lot of the things that used to be effective are changing as things. It's just a natural part of any business. So now it's a scramble to figure out what works now. Have you tried the Amazon marketing? I haven't yet because I don't have my books enrolled in KDP. I wanted to leave them open to other platforms. Uh, Kobo is supposed to be a bit bigger up in Canada than it is down here. And I wanted to give some marketing a chance to Mm -hmm. see if I could gain traction in that market. Um, So not yet. And how are you fine not... Because um, when I self-published in the beginning, I went with all of them. Um, now, not having any money, that didn't help uh, for marketing. And then now I'm just strictly Amazon, just so I can basically concentrate on on one. How are you finding the other? Like, do you do you find like the Amazon sales up here and everyone else way down here, or are you finding it a, a little more closer? Like They're with not- Barn. They're not close. No. <laughs> Amazon <laughs> is um, very much the primary source of income. Um, but a lot of my beta readers use Nook. They're still on Barnes & Noble, which is pretty funny because things are tough for them right now. Um, I like to leave my options open, but I'm not sure it, it's entirely rational. <laughs> <laughs> and you could always change it, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so let's talk about your first book, uh, okay. All the Pretty Bones. Now, this, if I've got this wrong, please um, uh, correct me, but i one of the clips that I took or one of the little things is um, from an Amazon review where uh, a, a, the main character stalks or goes after her stalker. Yep. Okay, so that's, when I read that, I'm like, that's actually kind of interesting. That that actually piqued my interest right there. That one little that one little comic because she had cancer. Yeah. So this is a world where mythology exists. So there's mm-hmm. vampires and demons and all that stuff. And she isn't exposed to any of that. Um, all she knows is that after ten years of being stalked, she gets diagnosed with a terminal illness, and since she has nothing else to lose, she decides to go after her stalker. And um, I, I just had an interesting time writing that. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually had a stalker myself. Oh, and 
whenever I'd hear things in the news, it would just, I'd just mull it over and mull it over. And I kept thinking, what would push somebody to actually turn around and take action against the person who's tormenting them? And putting her in that situation, it just seemed like a natural progression. Now, I, I don't condone that and, and wouldn't suggest it to anybody, <laughs> obviously, but it is a really interesting uh, premise for fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, it gave me a chance to play with mythology. I, I'm a total monster nerd. It gave me a chance to play with mythology and bring that into it. Because when you have paranormal aspects or mythological aspects, this person who's in a dire situation, you have options now. It doesn't need to end how you think it's going to end. And I love that. Reading makes you look stupid with J.H. Coates. We'll be right back after these messages. The following book previews are available at Amazon. This is a story about a girl named Lily. She had a boyfriend who was very mean. Even if they were in public, he would say things that made her sad and feel bad inside. But at home, it was worse. He did things that hurt her. He did things that made her cry. But Lily had amazing friends who helped her run away. And in time, she got better. So much better that Lily got a new boyfriend. So is Lily's new boyfriend? Her knight in shining armor?
Reading makes you look stupid. Fun fact. Number seventeen. Dude from the Muppets, Count Von Count. Actually, that should be a fun fact. I didn't even know that was his name. From Sesame Street is based on actual vampire myth. One way to supposedly deter a vampire is to throw seeds. Most likely the smallest ones you have. And you throw them outside the door. And a vampire is compelled to count the seeds. And usually if you threw enough, it would delay delay them until the sun comes up. Can you imagine if they had innumeracy, which is basically like mathematical literacy? <laughs> Stupid vampire. You are watching Reading Makes You Look Stupid on YouTube. Now back to the show. So you said you had a stalker. Um, mm-hmm. That's interesting. And if you don't want to answer anything, by all means, just say no or whatever. What was the deal there? Uh, oh, it was it was like an ex boyfriend or a mailman no. or well, okay, some so I, dude. It was just some dude. So I was in uh, I was fourteen. I was a freshman in high school. Uh, oh. There was a second year senior in my class. So sorry about that. You're fourteen. Yeah, second year senior in my class. I'm not sure why he was in my first year French class, and he just fixated. And I have no idea what set it off. Never dated him, never never anything. So he started showing up at all my classes. He showed up at my house, and I lived in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> he was very violent. Oh, even better. Uh, especially towards animals and scary guys. So the principal would do nothing and uh, until he split his father's head open. So, ah. yeah, he was really violent. It was a really scary time in my life. But unfortunately, um, every reading I've been to with this book, in half the room, half of the women in the room have had a, an experience that they share with me. And it's just really sad. Yeah, it, that's... And as as a guy, it's hard because I'm. Most guys don't. I'm sure they do, but not as as often as women. Um, and did he leave like any animals on your doorstep or? No, not on mine. Um, <laughs> on one of my teachers. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's uh, a serious thing because if we've yeah. learned anything from Dexter, that's the gateway to serious. Right. <laughs> Yeah, read any book, and this was. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. And I'm not trying to make too light of it, but that's no, actually. A th- I believe that's. A, I have no. I'm not an expert, but I believe that is an actual thing. Oh um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I joke <laughs> because that's how I deal with things. So if I sound flippant, uh, that's why. But it, it was a long time ago. I won't say how long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I didn't realize I still thought about it much or it bothered me until I started writing it and it was just a really great way to change the ending yeah yeah and yeah it's and if we're even going back a few years the attitude of people in general um where I'm guessing a lot of uh you don't know what you're talking about oh don't be silly I just likes you I'm pretty sure that's how it started uh, well people talking like yeah. I'm just going by my own experience of what people said when I was younger. Ah, oh, don't be silly. Ah, oh, it's nothing. Ah, oh, don't worry about it. When really, I think people should have been, yeah, maybe we should worry about that. 
So the officer who was delivering the notice that of the restraining order to him made fun of me. Oh, and nice. awesome. was very cruel and thought I was this overdramatic teenage kid who's making a big deal out of nothing. I ran into him two years later, this officer, and he went out of his way to find me apologize because he'd read through the transcripts and heard what he'd said and done to me and was just, it changed his outlook on, on stalking. Yeah, well, uh, at least it changed, changed him. Yeah, yeah, and it, it sucked that he had to treat me that way, but at least the next person he ran into, it, it really changed his perspective. Yeah, and, and and then you, a lot of people wonder, well, why don't you tell? Why don't you? Why don't you confide? Why don't? Well, that's why, because when you tell someone in authority, whether it be like a parent or a, or a cop, and they ridicule you, ridicule you, um, yeah, I wonder why people don't um, yeah, confide more. Well. <laughs> like the principal, this guy didn't miss a day of class until he attacked his father and it was really apparent he's violent. Um, so I went months tormented and it, it was awful. And you and had people class just don't with take him. It. No, um, they changed the classes, but he was consistently showing up outside of my rooms and leaving paperwork and with details on what he was going to do. And, and none of it mattered. He still went to class. That's bizarre. It was really weird and not at all, hopefully, typical. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope not. Right, right. But these things still happen. It's pretty yeah. terrible. Uh, that in itself is a movie or a book. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did you take that? Exp how much of that experience is in in, in your like? Did it? I'm guessing that was your fuel for writing the first book. It, it was absolutely the fuel, and you'll find I tend to change all the details, all the the circumstances, but the emotion behind it and how how I felt is absolutely in there. And it was interesting. I wasn't sure I could do it. I actually write from the stalker's perspective in the book. Oh, okay. And I'm told that worked out really well. And that was an interesting perspective for me to try to get my head into. So now, was this at the beginning? Was this something where you okay? So this guy's stalking um, this girl, and you going back to your own experience. And was this now you trying to find figure out like how did you try to figure out what the what the hell was he like? What was in his mind? Like what was he thinking when he was doing this? Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, that was tough. And I wrote it out, so people should check out the book. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's move on to Blood, Spirit, and Bone. So this is um, part two in The Hunt. Mm -hmm. okay. And this is where the mythology really comes out. So I wanted to do a couple things really differently with my books. I wanted to change up the vampire mythology. Mm -hmm. I'm a total monster nerd. And to me, it made more sense to change it up and make this a hereditary thing. Okay. And the main reason I did that is... I wanted so many vampire books start with this normal average girl who can't understand why this guy is into her. And like the whole book is about her coming to terms with maybe she's a little special after all. I wanted to start with a character that had something waiting dormant in her and, and came out. Like I wanted to start with a character that had the potential to be an apex predator. 
So she's genetically predisposed to becoming this. Humans can't be transformed into vampires in this world. You have to be born into it. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, she's part human, part elite vampire, and she makes her change. So book two, Blood, Spirit, and Bone, is all about evolution and how people cope with that change. Oh, okay. So you can't be bitten. You can't be turned. You actually have to have that, that, that gene. In order right. to become a vampire. Right. And there's a transition process, but if you don't go through that process, your cells start to mutate in a wrong way and basically mimic cancer. So I just Oh, ruined. okay. <laughs> kind of ruined. Spoiler for book one. <laughs> <laughs> when did that book first come out? So that was released in May of 2015. Oh, okay. So that just a year, just over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now the third book. Uh, visions and bones yep really deals with preconceived notions and olivia coming into her own um and that was released uh just this this month okay so that didn't go out um through your last uh, publisher this actually just came out yes yes correct i've been plotting the fourth one so much that you have to give me a second to go back to book three (laughs) Okay, so there's going to be a fourth. There is a fourth book coming? Yeah, there will be six in the series. Oh, okay. Um, the fourth book, I just finished plotting out all the scenes. I'm so excited to dig into it. Um, and five and six have the major points plotted as well. Um, book three is really about this madness that takes over Seattle and Olivia's struggle between trying to protect the humans which is what she really views her purpose as and trying to save her friends who are also targeted so she's really struggling with where her priorities and loyalties lie and you and you just said that you look you see this as six books yes yep so how long does it take you to how long did it take you to write um all the pretty bones uh probably took me about six months oh okay because um my editor is a writer and she's on her like ninth book and it's been like a year and a half since she's been doing it. And I'm like, how the hell is it? What the, how the hell are you guys banging these out? So, so freaking fast. <laughs> I I'm like, know. am I, but yeah. Okay. So I'm not the only one that takes a while. <laughs> no, I mean, and this is just first draft. So first draft takes me anywhere from a week to six months. And the ones I write in a week are by the seat of my pants. And it takes me a year to turn that sucker around into an actual book. So So from the day you sit down to the time you actually get done where it's ready to be going to the editor, could that take you up to about a year? That takes usually about six months. Six months? Okay. To get it to the editor, yeah. And how long does it take you to edit? Um, That usually takes about a month. Mm-hmm. And then proofing usually about two weeks. So, when you send it to the editor, because I was I was talking to someone about this before too. Um, my first book that went to an editor, I I didn't fight tooth and nail, but I kind of wrote it in a way like she would send me back what she wanted to change or what she would suggest. It I tried to keep it the way I did, and I I, I didn't just take all her suggestions which really drew out the editing process in a, in a mm-hmm. bad way um 
we got along great and everything, but I was a little reluctant and I don't know if it was because I was just stubborn. Are you more open to your editor or are you like dig your feet into certain things or? I'm a very angsty writer and I kind of assume that everything I'm doing is wrong. So, oh, okay. so I'm the opposite. I think everything I'm doing is right. So, See, that's, <laughs> which is that's wrong. Right. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> but- not. But you'll probably rebound a lot faster when somebody tells you otherwise. Because yeah. I hear something and I'm like, oh, my God, I should have changed everything. And my editor's like, no, 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 no. No, that was there for a reason. Don't you dare. Um, so that's always fun. So I didn't fight the editor very much. Um, the only things I've fought was when my publisher tried to inject a lot more romance and try to turn it into a paranormal romance series instead of a thriller series. Okay. That I had a really hard, I did not do because that's not what I write. Now, was your editor um, more of a, a, like a romance editor? She is a romance writer, but her focus is in suspense. Oh, okay. She didn't push me that direction at all. Uh, She's fantastic to work with. She's very good about keeping my characters true to their nature and pointing out areas where I need to add a little bit more material. Because I, I tend to not write the super long books and miss a few plot points. How long, typically, how long are your books? Page? Uh, around 85,000 words. Oh, okay. So that's fairly average for a, yeah, a book. Yeah. yeah. How, uh, how, now, how, how long are they when they get to the editor? Uh, usually around 80,000. <laughs> oh, so you add more. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. See, I'm the opposite. Mine was like 118, and okay. we got it down to 85. Yeah, and that's uh, that's tough. That's it, tough. Yeah, it is. I wonder what would be tougher, though, trying to add more, especially if you like the way the story is going, and then you have to create more story or... It depends on on how tied you are to your characters and your story. I would imagine it's harder to take away. That's that's my guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it's pretty easy for me to add stuff in um, as long as it fits or improves the flow of the story. And her suggestions always do. I, I'm always really impressed with her work. And you said you have the same editor for all three right now. Mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. So you didn't want it to be a, an actual paranormal romance? No. No. <laughs> it's not my forte, romance. <laughs> uh, yes, now, did you ha- are these the original covers from the first mm-hmm. two books? They're the ones that were with the publisher? Yep. Now, did you have any problems with um, getting the uh, covers uh, accepted? Uh, yes. So they originally wanted to change particularly the first one to be like a woman swooning in a guy's <laughs> arms. <laughs> and, uh, they wanted on mine. Oh, no. I was just like. Mine, my cover got rejected and mine was hand painted or hand drawn. Um, uh-huh. And they're like, no, we, the, they're like the typical romance, paranormal. You, we need the good looking guy, the good looking girl. And it's got, I'm like, I don't want that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not why I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want that. We had to change our actual genre to actually get them approved. It, it actually makes me feel a little better that they also did this to um, a male writer. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> no, no problem. Make, 
because I was just like, would they do this to Lee Child? Because <laughs> his pacing's fine, and he has relationships in there, and people sleep together, and things happen, but that is not the focus of the book. So I was just so frustrated, because I'm like, this is not a paranormal romance. Ha. Huh. Did you so, have to change your genre, or did you? Ha- they finally just give in? They finally caved. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, and now it's funny, because... I'm working with a friend a little bit because my readers are like, we'd like a little more romance. And I'm like, well, okay, but I'm going to need some help with this one. It's not my strong suit. <laughs> okay. So now after just saying that, do you, do you talk to, do you talk to fans or do you, um, you, you, do you eat like, I don't know if they're email or Facebook or whatever. Do you actually have, have a lot of um, interaction with people who read your books? Uh, yeah, I'm very, very active on social media, on my Facebook page and Twitter. Um, I, I do so have someone help manage some of the content, but any of the responses and interactions are mine. So I, I do interact quite a bit. I also have an emailing list and have had some fans email me back and have some dialogue back and forth, which is wonderful. I love it. Do you get um, uh, the bad, the good? Like, do you get people that you suck? Or are they, is it mostly positive so on goodreads <laughs> sure but <laughs> yeah, the they're people, brutal over there what the hell yeah i mean i think they make a, a it's kind of a game of being the snarkiest of the mean means and and that's great but i, I don't want to i actually don't spend a lot of time on goodreads <laughs> and i also don't I'm one of those authors who can't negatively review other authors. I just don't review the book at that point because I know how much work goes into it. And there's so much negativity out there already. I just don't want to add to it. It's just my personal philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's fine if readers have a problem with my book. I understand it. I don't have a problem with reading bad reviews. They they honestly don't. I get it. Um, but the people who reach out to me via social media, I had one troll which was kind of fun because everything I said was stupid and that got funny. Uh, <laughs> but for the most part, everybody's very positive. <laughs> you got to have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got to have. Yeah, you don't want too thin of a skin, especially. Yeah, especially doing stuff like books. Actually, anything that where you're you're creating something and then putting it out there for everyone to see. I could see. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You have to, at a certain point, while you're writing it, it has to be yours and it has to be your baby and what you're creating. But before you put it on market, you have to figure out how to get your head around the fact that this is a product. And once it's out the door, it's no longer yours. Yeah. It's completely open to interpretation. And I see people struggle with that a lot. Um, it's it's just something every author has to work on. Yeah. Yeah. I just pour yourself a drink and cry yourself to cry yourself to sleep with the bad reviews. You are watching Reading Makes You Look Stupid right here on YouTube. Now see, YouTube isn't just dancing kitties and men getting blasted in the nuts. It's got other stuff. The following book previews are available at Amazon. All of the little boys and all of the little girls are afraid of monsters. But all of their mummies and all of their daddies tell them not to be afraid, little ones, 
because monsters do not exist. But that is a lie. And when all the little girls and all of the little boys grow up, they start to date. And what of those monsters that supposedly don't exist, but really do? Well, they date too. You're watching. Reading makes you look stupid. On YouTube. Now back to the show. What were we talking about? The reviews. Oh, yeah, you are talking about negativity and how resilience in this industry is absolutely key to success. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you haven't been actually writing... Well, okay, I, I, that's not fair to say, but you, uh, you've you just published your first book a couple of years ago, so you're, you're fairly new at this. I, yeah, yep. So were you writing a lot before? Like, were you writing since you were young, that type of thing? Well, I wrote quite a bit when I was young. I stopped for a long time, focused very heavily on my career, and then I got really sick, read a really terrible book, and decided I could do that too. You could do that better. <laughs> okay, so what made you actually think that you were sick? Um, were you sick for a while? I have systemic lupus. Um which is uh, an autoimmune chronic condition. Um, so it's something that just, it comes and goes. Mm -hmm. So I, I get these periods of time where I can't be um, very physical and, and active. So um, writing is an excellent solution for that and it takes my mind off of it. It's wonderful. Now, before you got sick um, for a while there, were you thinking about writing a book then, or was this... Nope. Nope. <laughs> it was a bit of a whim, um, but I, I loved writing when I was younger, and mm -hmm. it was one of those, why don't I do that anymore? So <laughs> it, was, it was kind of, once it occurred to me, it was a good idea. <laughs> and how long, how long did it take you to, to write that first draft, where you thought, I, I got a book here? 
I sat, well, okay, so I've written a few books before this, and that first book I wrote in a week, I can't believe I showed it to anybody because it's so embarrassing. It will never see the light of day. It was terrible, but it got things going. So a um, few books later, this one came along, and when people asked me what kind of book I was reading, and I explained, well, it's about a woman who doesn't have anything left to lose and she decides to go after her stalker people would lean forward and and start acting really interested and that's when i started thinking this might be something that other people would want to read mm-hmm. it was the first time i ever considered maybe i could publish because it, it hadn't really been a motivator for me up until that point now and so obviously you you planned it to be a series right from the beginning uh no, like this went through many many drafts. I didn't plan it to be paranormal uh, initially. I didn't plan it to be a series, and then as the book went along, it just everything kind of fell into place. And then my editor made me plot out the whole series before she would work with me on the first book, which was brilliant of her, and I thank her for it. But at the time, it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how it's going to end. Yes. Theoretically, you know how you know how this this whole series is going to end. I know exactly how it's going to end. <laughs> <laughs> Why vampires? You know, I think I mentioned I have lupus. Mm-hmm. I think it's an attraction to something that can heal and be healthy perpetually. Something that has a lot of of strength. It, it's not the monster aspect. It's the the thought that people can be so resilient, this this creature can be so resilient. I think that's what really draws me to them. Now, were you a big fan of vampires beforehand? Like, were you like, the, oh, was yeah. that your, okay. Yeah, I grew up playing video games. Uh, Castlevania was really big. Nice. I've watched just about every vampire movie and every vampire television series read a ton of vampire books. Uh, it was a very natural progression for me. <laughs> so, uh, like, Twilight? Are you a fan of Twilight? or like We don't have to I, bash it or anything, but I mean... You, right. I, re- I respect what she did there. Um, I read them, and they were fast reads. Like, I, I consumed them. I have some issues with some of the relationship aspects i thought it was a bit unhealthy of a representation there but um i respect her work Mm -hmm. absolutely um but i'm a bigger i would say i'm a big fan of like bram stoker and stephen king and um so like salem's lot yeah and rice um there's just a ton of really uh, radley's really good uh i love the strain well, I love Yeah, that's actually of, I've only seen the first season, but yeah. So I love the vampire mythology in the strain. I don't like how the strain is constructed. Uh, it's very macho masculine, but mm-hmm. I, I like the vampire mythology and how he brought us back into the realm of monsters. Because if you read Dracula and Bram Stoker, uh, that was not a romance at all. No. And that was romanticized uh, much later on. And I just really like how the strain kind of brought us back into that that world of monsters. So he he did some good things there. So you like you're not a big fan of the romantic. He he gets you in his eyes and she like shows her neck and all that. You're more into you like the more monster aspect of it. Well, I like some. I do like some paranormal romance. 
I see the appeal. I've watched Vampire Diaries. Like I am, I love <laughs> bad television. I love it. It's my weakness. Um, so to say I don't like it, that's not really true. I appreciate a really broad range of things. Like my reading is all over the place, and so is my watching. Right. Um, and I think that that really helps you as an author to have a broad understanding of what kind of mythology other people are using. Now, do you think the do you think we're oversaturated with vampires? Well, the first time I pitched at a conference, I learned the term vampire fatigue, <laughs> which was a bit of a blow. Um, <laughs> but yes and no. So this agent told me, man, if, if you had just written about witches, because those are going to be the next big thing, <laughs> I would take it. Well, witches were never really the next big thing. No. Nope. So that didn't really happen. And vampires come and go. Um, and they will always come and go. Look at when Anne Rice was big and look at when Twilight, like every 10 to 15 years, you have this spike in activity. Yeah. I don't think they're ever going to completely go away, but it, it's becoming an increasing challenge to change the construct and how we see them. It's, mm -hmm. it's harder and harder to come up with the new vampire. Yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah. Um, but I, I believe you're right. I mean, they're never going to go. Well, I mean, I, I don't like see zombies. Them. Yeah. Like <laughs> right now, like everything is zombie. Like since The Walking Dead came out, what, eight years ago, it's just zombie, 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 um, yeah. which I'm a huge zombie fan. So and that's oh, and I'm too. a huge vampire fan. So, I mean, it's no different than the 8000 procedural uh, cop in, in yes. a court. Like how many of those are there? Like, oh, my God. Right. Right, and the difference is there are vampire, zombie, and cop shows that are done well, and there are vampire, zombie, and cop shows that are done really poorly, mm -hmm. and that really drives whether or not we're tired of, of them, you know? Like, the response we give is really a reaction to the quality of the content, <laughs> I think. So what was your, your first, your introduction to horror? Uh, was it a book or was it a movie? Oh, my God, people are going to wonder what's wrong with my family. This is hilarious. Okay, so... My grandmother thought it was appropriate to show me Friday the 13th when I was five. <laughs> and You weren't going uh, to camp, were you? So but, the first one, where uh, it turned out to be the sweet old lady that ended up hacking everybody up? Yeah, which makes it even more bizarre that she <laughs> thought that was a good idea. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like it's pretty funny. My mom was pretty religious and wouldn't even let us watch the Smurfs. But my name, Kamala... She always thought it meant princess. She's very ADD and didn't read the full description. It actually means princess who attends sacrifices. Oh, nice. So when she asked me why I turned out this way, I'm like, well, there's a combination of events. It started with my name. Probably had something to do with the horror movies when I was young and just kept going. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask, um, what was the problem with the Smurfs? Uh, Gargamel was satanic. That was <laughs> so when we played video games, we were restricted to the Bible Nintendo video games. It was pretty funny. There was Bible <laughs> Nintendo games? Yes. Oh, was, God. Yeah. yeah. I remember running around as Noah throwing coconuts at predators to then <laughs> stack them on my head to go run them into the ark. It was oh, I want to play it. Yeah. Then I go to friends' houses and play Castlevania. So it was good. <laughs> I, I had no idea there were Bible Nintendo. It makes sense. I mean, every kid had a Nintendo, but 
never even <laughs> I didn't see them at Toys R Us or or Walmart or no. It was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> How sad. Other kids are playing Mario and Zelda and you're playing Noah. Oh, I did that too, but it was just not at my house. <laughs> my poor mom. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember as a kid, we had, there was like, you always had that one friend where you can go to their place and their parents didn't give a shit and you could watch like the the Predator movie or the, the oh, scary yeah. movie and all that stuff. Um, Alien. But, yeah. <laughs> so what are you watching now? Oh boy, Penny Dreadful. It's I'm- done. I'm finally getting around to it. I'm behind everything. No, uh, I meant the show is done. I know. I know. And the first two seasons, I loved them because this really went back to Bram Stoker, Mary Shelley. You get a ton of classical references. And yeah. like the monster nerd in me is just so excited with the show. So I'm, I'm, I'm bummed. Um, we're watching Stranger Things. I'm going to actually start watching that this week. I, I've been waiting to get some time because I don't want to just watch one and then have to wait next week or whatever. I know it's on Netflix and I but I don't I'm waiting for it when I have the time to watch two or three and then yeah. two or three and then two or three. I think it's only eight or nine episodes. Yeah, and and episode one I love how it kicks off. I'm not ruining anything, but it has a very Goonies slash ET vibe to it. It looks so good. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um uh, Silicon Valley That's because a great of show. my work environment. And uh, we just started The Night Of. We mm. loved uh, True Detective. And The Night Of is a new HBO series. And I don't know where the series is going to go yet, but that first episode was so well written. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. <laughs> um, any, have you seen any recently movies? Like uh, horror movies? Uh... Like, how do you find... Okay, so we were talking about the 80s here, and then the 90s, and then the 2000s kind of sucked for horror. Well, to me, they sucked. Do you, now, it seems to be more paranormal, ghosts. Like, 90, the 2000s, I think, were more gore, a hostile, eh. saw, and then now we're into the old, whole... A lot, of, a lot of ghost stuff. Do you like that type of horror? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of all over the place on horror as well. So there's a couple films that took place in the 90s that were very divisive. So the Blair Witch Project is one of them. People yeah, either really loved the it or they did. See, it did for me too, and I think it has to do with I'm really good at suspending reality and I let my imagination go and my I imagination was, was worse than the movie. <laughs> I was actually one of those morons that was telling my friend, "No, dude, it's fucking real. I read it online. This actually found the footage." Yeah, I was one of those idiots. But it was so effective. It was. Um, <laughs> and then there's another divisive one is The Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, that was um, a, that's an awesome movie. I love it too. I think there's been some really good horror. There's been some terrible horror and a resurgence of the indie films. So like Wolf Cop. And, <laughs> and the most recent one we watched was Shark Exorcist. And it was the biggest, the worst movie we've ever seen scene and i feel bad saying that but now was that worst movie like sharknado or this was like it was worse like sharknado has a campy appeal to it okay so it's even worse than that you can watch it there's parts that are just so ridiculous they're funny this was just the they had scenes that didn't belong there um they i realized they were on a budget but like one gal got bitten 
there was no injury. There's just fake blood <laughs> on our leg that was running off. It was amazing. See, I never see. At least it would be kind. Was it at least like haha? Like it was so bad it was funny, or this was just like why? It was so bad it was bad. Yeah, you, you owe know? me money. Like Zombievers. Have you seen that one? Yeah. I watch. A, I watch a lot of bad horror, and we live tweet it. So Zombievers. I had a problem with that one because none of the characters were likable. No. All. You couldn't relate to any of them. So there's all this potential there. And I thought the, the actual human beaver transformation was hilarious. Yeah. You could have gone a lot of places yep. with that. That was kind of a letdown. Shark Exorcist was so much worse. I'm going to have to check it, was, it out. <laughs> so, right. Um, but if you make it more than 15 minutes, I will be really impressed. Well, I don't understand why uh, when people are making movies and you have no money... Why make something so ridiculous? Like, if you only have $5,000, do Blair Witch. Go out in the woods and right. shoot. Even if it's a zombie movie, you can have two or three zombies running around. And But no, they just shoot for the stars and they just have a stepladder. I, I, I don't get it. Well, it's funny. My, my husband is kind of like a, a plot guru. He spots plot holes like nobody else. And this drove him insane because they had scenes taking place that didn't connect to anything else. There's no purpose to them. They just happened. And it drove him up the wall. So if you're going to do a low-budget movie, plot it out. <laughs> Every now, scene needs to matter. You know, like make it count. Now, does he uh, yell out the plots during the movie? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That would drive me nuts. I'd be like, seriously, now you just ruined the movie for it. Thank you. I'm going to make him listen to this <laughs> podcast because I'm right there with you. <laughs> Reading makes you look stupid with J.H. Coates. We'll be right back after these messages. The following book previews are available at Amazon. Reading makes you look stupid. Fun fact. Number 103. Starbucks was founded in Seattle, Washington in 1971. It had over it has over 23,000 stores around the world. Well, half of those are in Seattle itself. It also offers 96 different types of coffee drinks. Suspiciously, without one of them having the word coffee in them. Hmm. Okay, two of those weren't actually facts. The first one was, Well, thank you, Seattle. Not only did you give us rain, but you gave us overpriced heated drinks that may or may not contain caffeine. You dicks. Actually, I could go for a Starbucks right now. Yeah? You're watching Reading Makes You Look Stupid on YouTube. Now back to the show. Um, 
No, like now we were talking about video games. Do you still play video games or? I don't really have the time for it. The last one I really got into, well, Diablo three and then Skyrim, um, which is kind of funny. I like first person shooters, so well, uh, those two, um, Skyrim and, and Diablo three, you just that those are are more. RPG. That's a big commitment. No, yeah. I just mean time wise. Those are big commitment oh God, games. Yeah. Like you look at fifty so. hours at least. And it's been oh years since I've had the time to do that, which is really sad. Um, but Gears of War is kind of right up my alley too. So I usually either do first-person shooter or RPG, and the RPG are really time-consuming. Yeah. Have you seen the preview for the new Gears of War? Yes. There's a new one coming up for Xbox. It looks amazing. I need to set aside some time for that <laughs> one. <laughs> I know, and it's like I would love to. Like I, I'm a big fan of um, like even Grand Theft Auto, but... You can waste. Oh, open world formats yeah, like that. Yeah, a day like Ooh. Skyrim, even or Zelda's, or and it used to be where I could go to work and I could come home and I could wait, do ten hours of video games and then still go and do something with a friend and then go to work. That that's just long gone now. It's yeah, yeah, and that really started off with the Castlevania time frame, that open world format where you can just kind of go off and and do side things. Yeah, that. That can that can take up a lot of time. Do you play any horror video games? Um, not a lot. I read a lot of horror, um, but tend to play it less because I don't know. Like I have no problem watching it, but playing it gets me into it more, and I think it scares the crap out of me. I think that that's the honest answer. <laughs> I know I saw some of these previews for the virtual reality stuff coming out, and um. Where you put on the things and you, and the guy's uh, playing it and he can hear the voice behind him and the guy and you're watching the guy play and he's just he's standing there he goes I'm not turning around I hear the voice telling me to turn around he goes I'm in here and I ain't fucking turning around at all and then they show in the game and everywhere you look you're in the game and I'm like I don't know if I want to play that I I don't know if I can handle it, <laughs> it makes it too real he's screaming <laughs> like a little girl and running around and yeah no it's- I. It's so funny how a lot of us are fear junkies and, and we like to, f- but with like a movie, you can turn it off if it gets too much. And then a video game, I just feel like you're so immersed in it that there's there's yeah. no coming back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you writing now? Um, let's see. I'm working on book four in the series. How far along are you? Like I have you- just finished plotting out every single scene and I've written a little less than a quarter of it. So that's coming along. Oh, okay. Um, and so, then I have a couple of books I've written and just haven't had time to, to get to, to finish up. So how much of your week do you usually um, donate to writing? It, it varies tremendously on how the day job's going. Um, but I try to write an hour every morning before work. doesn't always pan out, but I try. Mm-hmm. Um, so when are you hoping to be done the fourth book? Uh, by November. By November? Uh, yeah, I would really like to work on something else during NaNoWriMo. I was going <laughs> to actually, that's what my, was going to be my next question. Um, so you, you just said that you were working on a couple other things. So do you, you want to do other books? Oh, or yeah. Do, or you want to wait till, um that this series is done? 
You know, I really struggle with that because working on this series, it's really convenient to know and be able to recall your characters. I, I've written other books while I've been writing this series, and then I have to go back and reread the books and get back into <laughs> it. It makes it really difficult. Yeah. I would love to work on something else, but I'm half tempted just to stay focused, knock the series out, and then really dedicate time to something else. And it is hard because... Especially when you get an idea for a, a new book or a new series, um, and if you get that one little idea that kind of it, it clicks, and you're like, "Oh, that that would be really really good," and then it just starts, then you start elaborating. It haunts you. Yeah, it it haunts you until you write it. <laughs> <laughs> Haunted. So now. Uh. You actually write down the plot point, like you, okay. So you're not the type of writer that sits down and just goes. Let's see where the keyboard takes me today. I, you, I used to. So you find this method better? Yeah, yeah. I, I used to write by the seat of my pants, and I still will if I have that idea that is so clear to me it's like a movie. You mm -hmm. can't waste that. Like no. If you get to that point, sit down and start writing. However, I found that it is a huge time saver if you can slow yourself down and plot it out. You'll throw away fewer scenes, you'll understand your characters better, and you'll do less rewrites. Because I used to rewrite the beginning third of my book over and over. And I just I just can't do that anymore. <laughs> so Save the Cat has been a wonderful tool for me. And then I've used some adaptations of that tool. I'm very visual, so I use a lot of color coding. And it just really helps me tremendously cut down on the amount of time I spend on the first draft. So Save the Cat it's um it's really a film methodology it's been okay. around for a bit um but it, it breaks it into a three-act system with four major turning points it's you'd think it's formulaic but you can watch movies and the good movies follow this every single time mm -hmm. um I, I really like the methodology and even the fact that he starts out by boiling this down to you need to have a solid pitch line. You need to have one log line. And by doing just that exercise, I've discovered the books I'm working on that are weaker versus stronger and where to put my attention next. Nice. It's, I've, I've found it very helpful myself, but it's been an evolution. And I respect that other people, some people can't work that way, but it works for me. So what are you reading right now? Um, let's see. I'm right. Uh, I'm lucky and I got an ARC copy of Michael G. Muntz's uh, third book, uh, Dragon at the Gate and I think the series is the Aeneid cycle uh, the first one's A Shadow in the Flames so I'm really excited to, to dive into that. I'm also reading uh, Jim Butcher's uh, Dresden Files that's oh, okay. what I'm working on yeah. Now Michael, that's um, Zeus? <laughs> Zeus is dead. Yeah, is he's dead. another book trope author. <gasps> Reading makes you look stupid with J.H. Coates. We'll be right back after these messages. The following book previews are available at Amazon.
You're watching Reading Makes You Look Stupid on YouTube. Now back to the show. Red Brick House. Sorry, we're coming up with nothing. <laughs> um, they're redoing it. I saw that. I'm excited for that. I like I, I like the old movie with Tim Curry as the uh, Pennywise. So Tim Curry is magical. Yeah. Uh, Skarsgård is, is a really dynamic actor as well, so I am interested to see what they do with it. Yeah, it looks pretty good. And did you ever read the, um, the Man in Black, uh, the Dark Tower series he did? I didn't. Oh, okay. So that, okay. Well, that ruined that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible fan. <laughs> what about, okay, so you're a big fan of the 80s movies. Um, and the 90s movies. And I the 90s. The resurgence of the slasher. Yeah. That really Scream. took place in the 70s. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I rewatched those. They're hysterical. Yeah, actually, that's uh, um, the last uh, when I was talking to Jim Cavanaugh. That, that's what we we're talking about. That's one of his favorite movies of the 90s. And then he oh, said awesome. that a lot of people give him shit over it but um, because it was so mainstream. But he said that pretty much ignited the resurgence of the slasher. Because he said, and I agree with him. They wouldn't make any more Jasons and Fred, uh, Freddy Krueger movies if that movie wasn't so successful. Yeah, Hollywood is really dependent on what's current at the time, like what's hitting, what's successful. But I think what I really like about Scream is that it was so self-aware. Yeah. Like you watch the first one and they make fun of the formula. They, they're just, the things they poke fun at throughout it are just spot on. I really like it. So were you a big fan of like the Goonies and Ghostbusters and all that stuff from the 80s? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the new Ghostbusters? Not yet. No? And I really hope it's good because apparently it's supposed to be a, um, a spinoff to make more of them. And I'm all for them making remakes of movies, like, as long as they're good. I would maybe. wish they would just another Goonies or another Goonie type thing. Well, maybe that... Well, um, Point Frank didn't need to happen, but for the no, most part, I, I haven't seen it. But yeah, <laughs> no, some of them don't need to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you though. I am uh, quite the raging feminist, and it was very exciting that they cast the people they cast. Yeah. Now, do you do you find that all at all in in books? Okay, see, I'm using this to lead us into uh, another part of um, uh, the interview. Do you mm -hmm. find that? at all in books where you find it harder because you are female? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ready Player One's a great example. So very interesting concept. Um, very, very 80s culture. I couldn't relate as well to it because it wasn't my 80s culture. It was very heterosexual, white, male-centric, mm -hmm. and and I really struggled with the book. I, I understood why my friends really liked it and why they recommended it, but I struggled. And he tried to bring in some diverse content, and I felt like it, it felt a fell a bit short there. Um, and then I'm kind of struggling with that with the Dresden Files as well. Um, I love Bob, the, the skull. He's fantastic, mm -hmm. but the mentality of the main character, the way he has to be so chivalrous, and, and that's not the issue. It's his observations of the women around him that kind of throw me out of the book a little bit. So I do struggle with 
having a hard time to relate the way the author wants me to because because of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, a little bit. And, and they're great books. Like, don't get me wrong, they're great books. It's just it's different. Now, do you do you find any of that type of stuff that bleeds out into when when you're um, marketing or pitching or talking to fans or um, or or writing yourself? Do you find yourself um, like you said, your some of your fans wanted you to do a bit more romance. Do you find yourself caving? Um, it's it's tough. When I go to writers conferences, a lot of times you'll have your genre on a badge, and a lot of the male writers assume that oh, tech paranormal or romance on the end of that. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh yeah, you're one of those, and they they get really condescending sometimes, and it it gets pretty frustrating. I had one gentleman in particular who wrote true crime. Um, he. Well, of course, you'll get published because that kind of drivel is really big right now. And he was just very condescending. I actually took the time to help him with his pitch. Mm -hmm. And as a result, he did really well. And we went out to get a drink later to discuss it. And his attitude changed tremendously. But it took a lot of work on my part to get him to that point to look at me as more than just this you know erotica like he assumed it was erotica writing and i have no problem with that like i read the stuff yeah it's great it's just not what i do and it gets frustrating when people assume that um and and i do fight it a bit i don't have a problem with my readers asking for more romance in the book i have because there's a strong connection between a couple of my characters and it makes sense but it's not going to turn into a romance series it's just that's not who I am. It's not what I write. I'm sorry. Right. And I may write a romance someday, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably it'll be a probably not. <laughs> well, I think that it's it's so burned into our culture, and because with my book, um, uh, it when I first came up with the idea, it was going to be, and this is before I wrote anything. The and this was just the idea. Um, girl in a bad relationship, bro get, mm-hmm. gets out of a bad relationship, guy slash monster saves girl. And mm-hmm. as I started, and then it, and that was so, it just, I, it was unbelievable how, 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 how quickly and easily that just assumed itself. And it wasn't until I started really getting to the plot, I'm like, well, why does it have to be, like, again, the dude coming in to save the girl? So, yeah, I think you have to be careful. It's not careful. I mean, those books are great too, but it's just weird how easily that just comes out of. Um, I I just wanted to see if it was the same for or for a female because as a guy. So I I will say when I wrote my first book, I fell into a lot of the the co- mainstream common constructs and stereotypes, and it's just what I was comfortable with and used to. Mm-hmm. So the first book I feel is a little bit weaker in that regard. And my character really didn't become the strong um, apex predator until later on. And, and then the writing really developed with that. And it, it, because of how strong she was, it, it really challenged another character who grew up um, like in the 1500s in this very patriarchal society. It really challenged him. And that gave me an opportunity to explore that for myself more. But... Like I said, that first book, I found myself falling into a lot of 
things that we see happening and and it's just yes it absolutely happens yeah because <laughs> I, I hear you yeah and then, then it's the reason i wanted to ask that because your book is you're talking about a female who is a victim or uh, being stalked and then mm-hmm. uh fights back and then when you read even read the back of the covers you you could follow the story along where um she becomes this hunter type person and then she's becoming this predator type person so i was just mm-hmm. wondering if you had a trouble getting to that point or if that was your point right from the beginning it, it was my point right from the beginning but it was a little clumsy it took a long time to write it in a way that felt organic yeah yeah it was a struggle for sure that's a great question it's <laughs> a great question <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> any plans over the summer um, I am going to take, we are going to take a week long vacation where I am going to have a lot of writing time, which is exciting because work has been really busy. So I'm very excited for that. So you're taking a vacation to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a workaholic. Busted. <laughs> okay. So no, thank you very much for doing this. Um, Thanks so much for having me on. This is awesome. Okay. That is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. Hope you found it somewhat entertaining. I'd like to thank my guest, Kamala Thompson. And you can buy her books at Amazon. It's the Hunted series. And for more information, you can go to www.jhcoats.com. And I'll let the British dude end things off. Thank you for watching or listening to Reading Makes You Look Stupid on YouTube. We hope you have enjoyed the show. If so, please subscribe and share. Goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time. Goodbye, everybody. How pissed would you be if you're like a vampire and like someone just threw like thousands of pine? One, two, three. I fucking hate you. <laughs>